1: God, of who you are and what you did for us as your people, Jesus. God, give us eyes to see what you see for this season, Lord, and give us the feet to walk in it obediently. In your name we pray, amen. You guys can be seated.
0: I put myself out and I say, okay, God, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but every single time I take a step on a mission, you seem to show up in a really compelling way. If they go across the world, um, it's more likely they'll go across the street. I really think that Bible helps us in, to reveal a guide who constantly pushes us to risky behavior for the kingdom of God. The things that keep us from doing incredible things are, are really oriented in our desire to keep ourselves safe keeping our kids safe and we think about keeping our lives safe if you're living your life in a way that it doesn't require jesus to show up in a significant way you should really ask are you living the life that jesus has called you to live i'm going to invite up sarah all or sarah she's in here somewhere come on up if you would sarah some of you know sarah sarah is Actually from West Point and went to Troop High School, graduated from Troop High School and is with IMB now in Central Asia. And Sarah was with us a few years back before she left and she's back on furlough now. So we've asked her to come and just kind of share a little bit about what's going on, how the Lord's working in her life. We just want to, this Christmas season, introduce you every Sunday to a different missionary, somebody doing a different work somewhere else in the world, just to challenge you in your faith, just to challenge you what you're doing for Christ. So why don't you just tell us, if you would, Kind of what the Lord is doing where you are and your part of the world and how He's working, even in sometimes very difficult circumstances for you guys. Okay,
1: um, I work with Persian people, and Persian people—some of you may know—they are spread out across Iran, Azerbaijan, um, Afghanistan, Georgia, Tajikistan, um, and we have some really cool things going on. We have different—the IMB has different teams. In those regions Um, and then we also have teams basically all around the world because some of those people have fled their countries as refugees and gone to other places and so we've seen the Lord doing some really cool things Um, we've been able to hand out a lot of Bibles you know we can give people we don't have to give them a big Bible we can give them a little micro SD card and they can put that in their phone and they can read the Word of God for the first time Um, and even in the place where I live It's a very difficult place. Um, People would want to leave there if they could, but a lot of them can't. Um, And even there, people are willing to risk their lives just to hear truth and to hear, um, to be able to read the word of God. They, um, the place where I live is about 99.99% Muslim um, and the culture and the government, um, they're just a very heavily persecuted people. If they do become Christians it's very hard for them
0: what's it like for you as a single lady living in a Muslim country and also for the people there that convert to Christianity what's it like for them
1: mm-hmm. for me when I first moved there it was really hard because I had to give up a lot of my freedom especially being single um, I can't live by myself and I mean I have been living by myself for 20 years <laughs> so I have to live well I get to live with a local family they have built some rooms onto their house. I like to call it the house that Lottie built. Um, But I really had to give up a lot of freedom. I can't drive. I can't, you know, always wear the things that I want to wear. Or, you know, I can't go outside. A lot of times I can't do my shopping for myself. So I had to learn to depend on other people to help me. Um, But in other ways, it's really cool that I'm single because the married women on my team, they basically have to stay at their homes, like, all day long. They're lucky if they get to leave their house once a week. So I get to spend 8 to 10 hours a day with locals doing my project. I get to spend a lot of time with women, developing relationships with them, and sharing the gospel with them.
0: Yeah, and Lottie Moon, for you, you mentioned the house that Lottie, or the rooms that Lottie built. What, what's the significance of Lottie Moon for you guys? Lottie is huge for us. I mean, it fully supports us. Um,
1: it flies us over there. It gets us visas. I mean, it just does everything, but it also, like, little things that you don't think about, like, I get to go to the dentist because you give to the Lottie Moon offering. I have clothes. I have coal to heat my house in the winter, things like that, and I do want to mention this, especially because I forgot it last time. Um, When people, I mean, honestly, where we live, it's really hard ground, like, we haven't seen a church planning movement break out, you know. We're seeing, like, one by one, people slowly come to faith. Um, but, you know, when we present them with the gospel and we give it to them, as it's truth, it's hope, it's it's everything. But at the same time, we're asking them to probably give up their families, maybe give up their job, maybe give up their lives. So it is really hard for the people there. It's... You know, is it Open Doors? Open Doors mm-hmm, ranks mm-hmm. countries by yeah. level of persecution. My country is number two just behind yeah. North Korea, so it's really hard for them.
0: Yeah, so obviously a, a great uh, opportunity for you to pray for what's going on over there. Just to be enlightened, I mean, ladies, the idea that you can't leave the house. And what do you wear when you do go out, actually? What can you wear?
1: Um, well, even in the summer, I would probably wear something like this. Um, this was actually a gift that somebody gave me for my birthday. This is hand embroidered. <laughs> I mean, I have really nice clothes, but, you know, just not <laughs> what you would wear here. Um, a headscarf, of course. The women generally wear, like, a blue burqa. I have some on my table if anybody wants to come get a photo op of what you would look like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's,
0: it's but, hard. But even in the midst of that, God's doing great things. Lottie Moon's a big part of that. And so let's thank Sarah, first of all, for coming and being with us. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate that. And then Sarah is going to be uh, between services down in the green lobby down there to answer questions. She's got a table set up and things you can look at, and she'll be happy to answer any questions you have. We just want to continue to challenge you, encourage you, make you aware of opportunities. Lottie Moon, of course, is going on all through Christmas, and then we'll do a special offering on Christmas Eve. You can give before that if you want. And along the lines of missions, just a couple things for you to be aware of. Next Sunday, right after the 11 o'clock service around noon or 12.15 in this room, anybody interested in Guatemala spring break next year? Okay, Guatemala, spring break next year, meeting here after church next Sunday. You can hear more about that. And also, some of you guys know Lindsay Foster. Lindsay and her children are going to be leaving uh, in January, early January. are going to be staying at New Day Orphanage for six months. So if you've been to New Day, she's going to go for six months. Her husband, Foster, is going to be uh, uh, in Afghanistan for that period of time. She's going to be with her children. So something you would be praying about and thinking about and just lifting her up. And then a couple of very quick things, and we're going to get to the scripture I promise and, and preach. I want to just remind you, I'm, I'm going to do this every week as well, capital campaign stuff. I'm not going to go through the whole spiel I did last week, but we're encouraging you because of the Calloway Foundation's 20% grant. Everything we give before our building is open, Calloway gives us 20%. And so we're going to encourage you. Our capital campaign goes through, I think, next summer. But if you can speed that up a little bit and give before the building is opened, Everything that you give, Callaway will give us 20% off. So that's a big deal. We're just trying to be good stewards of what we have and what Callaway will give us. And so you would be praying about that and being involved. And then one final announcement I'm very, very excited to make. Uh, our search team, our youth search team, has been looking for a long time now. We've been praying. We've been working behind closed doors. Uh, let me just give you the team very quickly before I forget. Brian Doman, uh, Rusty Taylor, Matt Donett, Pam Murphy, Lori Jeter, Katie Wallace, those are the six people that have been meeting uh, many, many weeks. They've spent countless hours looking over resumes, uh, interviewed a lot of people, prayed, trust in the Lord. It's the job of the youth search team to recommend to the church a name, right? It's not our job to hire a person. So we're going to recommend a name to you, and then next Sunday you'll have the opportunity to vote. It's the recommendation of the youth search team that we hire John Oliver as our next official youth pastor. Uh, We've been talking to John and and praying with John. I know a lot of you guys are excited about that. I've had a lot of comments over the last few weeks about John, and I'm excited about John as well. Uh, Looking forward to what the Lord's going to do through him. Next Sunday morning, you have an opportunity to vote. Okay, so we'll give you a ballot. It's a simple yes or no. Hand them out next Sunday morning, and the church will make the decision. But you've got a week now to pray about that. You've got a week if you have questions for me or questions for John, uh, we'd be happy to answer those. All right, now let me pray for us, and we're going to begin this morning. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in our church, Father. Just the the excitement of Christmas, the excitement of of Mission LaGrange and all the different opportunities, Father. I pray you challenge and encourage us to be involved in those. Lord, the excitement of of local missions, the excitement of foreign missions. Lord, what Sarah's doing, what Jonathan and Rebecca are doing, Father. What what Andrew and Megan are doing, Lord, in Southeast Asia. So many uh, are just out in the world sharing the gospel. Father, help this church to continue to have a heartbeat for missions. To continue to go, to sin, to encourage, Father Allow us just to to reach the nations to do great things for you, Father I pray for our time together right now as we open the truth of your word Just just impact our lives, Father Change our hearts, challenge us, encourage us To be more and more like Christ To be transformed more and more into his image And we'll praise your name for everything that you do It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen I'd like to invite you to take your Bibles this morning And open to Hebrews chapter 2 Hebrews chapter 2. We're continuing our series this morning. We've entitled Incarnation: Taking Us Through Christmas. It's the story of the birth of Jesus, God in the flesh, God among us. And we, we looked last week at the story of Christ and the scripture that really just encouraged us to proclaim Jesus. And I'll just remind you of that from last week and, and just challenge you again. We, we should be in, encouraged through the Word of God, and we should be challenged to proclaim. Every opportunity we get, Christ. We talked about proclaiming the birth of Christ, the eternity of Christ, the the joy of Christ, the hope of Christ. All those things last week. We should be living our lives with joy and hope, proclaiming the gospel to anybody that would hear, anybody that we meet. This week, we're going to think about the greatness of God. Now, I I love Hebrews because if you've ever studied through it or or read through it, Hebrews is just chock full of the greatness and the glory And the majesty of God. But here's what Hebrews does. This is why it's important and very challenging for us to study, and you ought to read it. It's going to give us the glory of God, the power of God, His majesty, but it's going to challenge us. Right? Hebrews is filled with what's called warning passages warning passages for believers, right? Beware, there are flags that we're waving in front of you as a believer. You need to be aware of certain things, you need to have your eyes open to certain things. You need to be careful that you're focusing and thinking about the things of Christ. So we're going to really focus this morning on Hebrews chapter 2. But before we get there, I want to give you a little bit of foundation in Hebrews chapter 1. So just flip back one chapter, Hebrews chapter 1. We have it on the screen. I want you to notice just in these first few verses of the book of Hebrews, the glory and the power and the majesty of Christ. Because we're going to build on that in just a second in chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, right? That's the Old Testament. God used to speak to us through prophets. We see that throughout the Old Testament. Verse 2 But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, right? So, Old Testament were the prophets. We understand the writings of the prophets. In these latter times, or in these last days, the writer tells us, God now sends his son. And speaks to us through his son. Verse 2. Excuse me. uh, uh, Yeah, verse 2. In the last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now, listen to what he says about Christ in verse 3. This is Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, right? In other words, after he died on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So so we see that Jesus is the heir of all things. The world's created by him. He's the radiance of God. He's the exact imprint of God. He upholds the universe, made purification of our sins, sat down at the right hand of God the Father. On and on we go through the first chapter. I'm not going to read all of it, but we kind of are painted this incredible picture of the glory of Christ, of his power. Of His Majesty. Now, that's the foundation we're going to build on because this is really important. What happens in the beginning of verse, of chapter two? So look at chapter two, beginning in verse one. Right. So the glory of Christ, His radiance, His glory, His power. Hebrews two one. Therefore, right. Therefore, right. Because of Christ, because of what He's done, because of all He's given. Therefore, now this is crucial right here. Listen, don't miss this. We must. Pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. You see the red flag right here, the warning right here? Let me read it again. Listen to this. Therefore, because of all Christ has done, because of his glory, we, that's us, need to pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Now look at verse 2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, in other words, Christ died for our sins, verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? What, What an incredible sentence there. It was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Let's stop there. I'm going to give you a truth and then I want to think back through it together and really challenge you in your walk. Truth number one. Christ's glory reminds us to not drift from our faith. Like the glory of Christ should be a constant reminder not to drift in our faith now I want to look at chapter 2 verse 1 because I want you to see it with your own eyes pull chapter 2 1 up again I want you to notice it therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from and I'll leave that verse up just for a second I'm gonna make a statement I hope it challenges you I believe too many Christians have drifted in their faith And I believe that there are far too many believers that don't have enough commitment to the things of the Lord. I think there are far too many Christians that have drifted in their faith and I think their commitment level to the things of the Lord is awfully low. Now I might or might not be talking to you. The, The beautiful part about preaching a sermon to the entire church is I'm not talking to one individual. So if if the shoe fits, wear it, I would say that to you. But I may not be talking to you. But here's what I would say. You need to pay attention. That's what this scripture says. Pay close attention. Like Far too many of us are not paying attention to our walk with Christ. We're paying close attention to lots of other things. man. The bottom line at work or our favorite sporting team or you name it, we're paying attention to those things but we are not paying close attention to the things of Christ and so guess what we're doing we're drifting away now here's the problem with drift oftentimes you don't notice it until it's too late you're driving down the road and I know none of you've ever done this but you're driving down the road the interstate and you get a little sleepy and everything's going well until all of a sudden you hear you've drifted a little bit right you didn't even know you were drifting Thank goodness those little raised markers on the side of the road Warned you that you were drifting Right Far too many of us are not paying enough attention We're not committed enough to the things of the Lord We're not committed enough to prayer Far too many of us are just not committed to prayer We're not paying close enough attention Far too many of us are not committed to Bible study Or Bible memorization Far too many of us are not committed to to church attendance Right Once a month is good enough Twice a month is good enough, right? That's not what Scripture teaches. We've kind of taken our Christian walk, and we've said, you know, I'm not really going to pay attention to that. There are other more important things. And so I'm just going kind to of do what I want to do. The problem is we begin to drift on our walk, drift in our faith. Drifting is dangerous. <laughs> I had the opportunity, I was in Africa uh, two years ago. One night we were standing outside, and then where we are in Africa, New Day Orphans, is very dark. And you can't really see anything. I mean, for miles and miles, there's no electricity. And so you stand out there at night and you turn the lights off of the orphanage You can see, I mean, it's just incredible what you see Like the Milky Way looks like somebody just painted it, it's incredible it Looks like clouds, it's so, so, so just magnificent but We're standing there and we see this kind of bright light overhead Way off in the distance, not an airplane, no flashing lights Just a constant white bright light And it's moving pretty slowly but it's just real steady Same pace, goes right overhead just continues on and, and we started talking I said I bet that's the International Space Station I see the skip smile and they remember that they were with us I said I bet that's the International Space Station so we went inside and checked and sure enough the International Space Station flew right over Zambia Africa It's really incredible it flies about it's, it flies so fast by the way it, it, it orbits the earth every 92 minutes isn't that cool hour and a half it goes around one time right so it's constantly moving But the interesting thing about the International Space Station and really any satellite is this got an exact height and an exact speed to stay in orbit. And so if it slows down, guess what happens? The gravity begins to pull it down and slowly but surely, doesn't happen overnight, doesn't happen in a week, not even a month. But that orbit will eventually degrade to the point that that thing will crash into the earth and we'll see just this brilliant fireball fly across the sky and the international station burns up in our atmosphere. And so it's got what it's called these boosters. It has to reboost on a pretty regular basis to maintain its altitude, to maintain its speed, to maintain its orbit. Right, And there are thousands of satellites that orbit the Earth right now that are going the exact right speed at the exact right height in order to maintain that orbit. Here's the problem. If they begin to drift ever so slowly... And they begin to be sucked back into the atmosphere with the gravity of the earth. Eventually, they're going to burn out. Here's the problem with our walk with Christ. As we begin to drift ever so slowly, if we're not careful, it's going to lead us to eventually crash and burn. You understand that? Amen. And, and, and we're asleep at the wheel. <laughs> I love this verse because it's almost like he just wrote it to the, to the modern church. Right? Pay attention. Wake up. You're asleep at the wheel, American church. You're drifting in your faith. Far too many people are not committed to the things of the Lord. We're not interested in the message of Christ. The first chapter of Hebrews just kind of falls on deaf ears. Well, good enough that He's glorious and good enough that He gave all the things for good enough that He created the earth. What's for lunch? I think, man, what's going to happen one of these days when real persecution falls upon us? Like you pick up where Sarah's living right now and you bring that to America and God forbid that never happens, but if it did, what would the modern American church look like? Have we become just kind of so uh, apathetic in our faith and in our walk? We've drifted so far we wouldn't even notice, we wouldn't even care, it wouldn't even matter to us. See, the the glory of Christ reminds us we need to pay attention. Now let's continue. Look at verse 10. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Lots in here, by the way. Lots in here. I I probably should have spent three or four weeks on this. There's so much depth, but we're going to go through it and pull out a truth. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. For it was fitting that he, from whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, this is Jesus, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, I want you to notice the idea of suffering through this text. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That's why he's not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Right? There's the sense that Jesus is with us in this In our suffering, we are his brothers, verse 13, and sisters. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me, verse 14. Since therefore the children share. Here it is again, the idea of sharing in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil and the deliverer. All those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Verse 16. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Verse 18. For because, this is important, he himself has suffered when tempted, this is Jesus, He is able to help those who are being tempted. Let's stop let me give you truth number two. Christ's suffering reminds us that we must give for the sake of the kingdom. The suffering of Christ should remind us that we need to be willing to give whatever it takes for the sake of the kingdom. Now let's remember Jesus is the high priest, he's the savior, he's the king, he's the messiah. He stepped down out of heaven and all of its glory and beauty. He stepped down into this earth it's, it's wretched and, and sinful and, and just a, a wicked, dirty, nasty place. He gave up all that of heaven, came down to the earth. Why? So he could die on the cross for our sins. We, we understand the story of Jesus, we understand what he gave, but I think sometimes we miss how he lived. Like We think about the miracles and the incredible and all the good things and feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on the water. All those things are true. But the thing we miss sometimes when we think about the life of Christ is he lived, according to Scripture, a life of suffering. Like he didn't have a place to to lay his head. And so we read verses throughout the book of Hebrews and really all the, the New Testament that say things like this. Look at verse 10 again. Pull, pull verse 10 up again for me, please. For it's fitting that he from whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation, that's Jesus, perfect through, what's the word? Three of you said it. Let's say it again. Perfect through what? Suffering. Right? Look at verse 18. Pull 18 up again. For because he himself, what's the word? Suffered. When tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Right there's this sense in Scripture that Jesus lived a life of suffering. One of my favorite Old Testament passages, Isaiah 53. I've talked about that before and and preached through it. I'm sure at some point in the future I will I will preach through it again. But Isaiah 53 looks ahead to Jesus, looks ahead especially to his crucifixion. But Isaiah 53 kind of kind of paints this picture. Of the difficulty that Jesus lived under. Listen to what it says. Don't look it up. Just listen. Isaiah 53 verse 3. Looking ahead to Christ. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows. Acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. That's Jesus. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs, he's carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or the punishment that brought us peace and by his wounds we are healed. We're talking about Christ and we're using words like despised and rejected and, and grief and stricken and wounds and, and transgressions and, and punishment. These are speaking of Jesus. He suffered in a life that he lived on this earth, earth simply because the Lord allowed him to be here to die on the cross for our sins. We, we miss that sometimes about Jesus. So there's kind of two sides to this coin. Right, the, the first one is the end of verse 18 right there. Let's look at that one more time just very quickly. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Right? There's, there's a whole sermon series on this idea that because Jesus was tempted, because Jesus suffered, because Jesus went through very difficult things in his life, he's able now to walk with those and help those who are now being tempted. Right? He's able to walk with us through our suffering. There's a whole sermon and sermon series we could teach on that. We get that, right? We want to hear that. We need that. We, we gravitate towards that idea, right? Because we suffer. We struggle. And we like to know that when we walk through those struggles that Christ is there to help us. And that is absolutely true. But Here's the flip side of the coin that oftentimes we don't want to think about. It's difficult for us. Because the flip side of that coin says that sometimes God asks us to suffer and to give things up for the sake of the gospel. Like sometimes we're required to suffer for Christ. I think about verses like Matthew chapter 16 verse 24, Jesus speaking to his followers. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Watch this. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus says, listen, I came to this earth. I I lived this perfect life. I suffered and died on the cross. And I'm now asking you to give up anything necessary in order to reach the world for Christ, in order to impact the kingdom for eternity. That's our calling. That's our calling. It's our calling And yet sometimes we, we, we do everything we can in life to, to make this world easier And we think Christianity ought to just be simple And we never should be really challenged And it ought to just kind of be a feel good kind of a moment I, I think about all the people in the world and, and Sarah gave just some accounts just briefly this morning All the people in the world that suffer for the sake of Christ All the people in the world that have given up everything for the gospel and I see us, and I think, you know, thank you, Lord, that we that we live where we live, right? Because I, I say this, but, but you know, we hit the lottery when we were born in America. Like, you hit the lottery when you were born in America compared to the rest of the world. We, we were, went to bed last night. It was cold. And it was rainy. And, and you know how the Lord sometimes just gives you these moments, and it's going to probably sound silly and cheesy to you. But I laid in bed, and I actually told Amy, as I'm, I'm listening to just the rainfall and I know it's probably 39 degrees outside. I was like, Lord, it just reminded me. And just in that moment, I was just thankful for a house that keeps me warm and dry. There are people in other parts. And she talks about the Lottie Moon Christmas offering helps her buy coal for her furnace. Are you serious? I mean, if I'm I'm cold, I get it. I bump it up three more degrees. That's it. I go back to bed, man. I'm not sacrificing. I'm I'm just really, personally, just really challenged by this passage of Scripture. Like, what am I sacrificing for Christ? What am I giving up? Jesus suffered. He he was a man that was punished for my sins, and he asked me to give for the sake of the kingdom. I don't know what I'm giving up. I think sometimes I'm asleep at the wheel, (laughs) I think sometimes I'm drifting, man. I think sometimes it's just so easy for me. I forget who Christ is and, and the suffering that sometimes Christ wants us to experience. I want to read. I've, I've got it on the, the, the screen, a quote from John Calvin. John Calvin is maybe one of the greatest theologians that ever lived. And he's, you have to think through what he says. He doesn't speak in small little words. But I just want you to hear what he says because it's, it's very challenging to me. He, he says, the, the ordinary way which God adopts in dealing with his people, right? So here's how God deals with his people. He says, for his will, this is the will of God, Is to exercise them with various trials so that they may spend their whole life under the cross. Right? God wants us to to struggle and have trials. Why? Because it drives us to the cross. (laughs) Go to the next slide. Listen to what Calvin says next. He says it's indeed a singular consolation, right? Just kind of one little small thing. Calculated to mitigate the bitterness of the cross when the faithful hear that by sorrows and tribulations they are sanctified for glory as Christ himself was. And hence they see a sufficient reason why they should lovingly kiss the cross rather than dread it. Huh. Man, when I realize that the difficulties I go through And the struggles I face will drive me to the cross. It should lead me to kiss it instead of dread it. God, don't don't take away the difficulties. Help it drive me to Christ. Help me to be more willing to trust him in all things. Right, But the, the, the difficulty that Christ faced, his struggles, and his persecution led us to kind of this beautiful place. We need to wind this up, but I want you to look at verse 10 again. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. For it's fitting that he from whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Here's the third truth this morning. Christ's perfection and death gave us salvation. It's because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. It's because of his perfection. It's because of his death that we have eternity with God in heaven. Now, we're supposed to live like Christ as much as possible. We're supposed to be Christ-like in all things, right? And one thing we can never do is be the Savior of the world. We can't be like Christ there. Like, we, we can't be Messiah. That's not who we're called to be. But as we see what Christ did, and as we think about the way Christ lived in perfection and his death and his sacrifice offering us salvation, we can't offer salvation to the world. But as believers, we ought to be asking ourselves the question, what can I offer to people around me? Like, what can I die to in order that others may live? Like, how can I give? How can I sacrifice? How can I struggle through things so that other people around the world, or maybe people in my office or school, can hear the truth of the gospel of Christ? Jesus gave up everything. What am I willing to give up? But if you're asleep at the wheel, if you're drifting if you're not paying close enough attention this is just gonna go right over your head and you're just gonna continue to move on And so I'm gonna challenge you we've got just a couple minutes left and we're gonna have an invitation here just a minute I'm gonna challenge you in these next couple moments the first thing I want you to do I want you to clearly examine your salvation you don't need to be asleep at the wheel at this Like, you don't need to be drifting and unaware you need to examine yourself first of all is it real Did I really actually profess Christ Am I really living for him? Am I really willing to give everything up for the sake of the gospel? And if you answer yes to that, and you kind of come to grips with where you are in your faith, then the second thing I want you to do in this moment of invitation is I want you to pray for the people that have not yet made that decision because they're all over the place. I can assure you that they're probably sitting among us right now and may not even know it. They're living in the houses all around this church. They're living in LaGrange and Troop County and West Central. They're everywhere everywhere. And Christ says, listen, I've I've got the truth, I've got the answer, I've got the hope, I died on the cross for their sins just like I did yours, believer, what are you going to do about it? You ponder that, you pray through that right now as we have a time of invitation, just right where you are, bow your heads, close your eyes and just consider that truth, the truth of the gospel in your life, the truth of your own salvation, and then the challenge of what are you going to do? just silent prayer right where we are as the musicians come up you just quietly pray in your own heart what God would have you to do with this truth and Father we thank just pray for the people in this congregation right now, Father, that their salvation would be clear in their hearts beyond a shadow of a doubt if they are a believer, Father that they're not drifting they're not asleep at the wheel, Father that they're not running off the road slowly and don't even know it, open their eyes, open our eyes to the truth remind us of your glory, remind us of your suffering, remind us of your call remind us of salvation, may we be the men and women of God you called us to be Praise your name, Father, for everything that you do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Stand with us.
1: You call